0: The weighing machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman, and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time tested principles that help investors succeed.
1: The weighing machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, Emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time.
0: Welcome to The Weighing Machine.
1: Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think.
0: The podcast today: volatility in the markets, and should we be concerned about inflation?
1: We will also take a deep dive into the ETF market with our guest, ETF strategist and senior vice president at First Trust Portfolios, Ryan Isukainen. Welcome to the Wang Machine. I'm Rusty Vanaman,
0: and I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start with a look at the markets. We've had some volatility lately. What are we watching for now?
1: Well, as of this recording, uh, we have indeed had a lot of volatility, uh, but you know the markets kind of just stalled and running in place. We still have double-digit gains for the year. We're still near all-time highs. Probably some of the more interesting parts of the market, the more speculative stuff, more volatility there, including in cryptocurrencies. Really, a lot of those more speculative markets peaked over three months ago in the middle of February. So we're still seeing some more volatility there, but the overall market is hanging in there and the outlook, I think, still looks pretty good.
0: All right, well, we knew it was gonna happen when your inflation numbers came in and they did not look good. We were expecting a sharp rise from the initial fall in prices at the start of the pandemic, but it looks like the data was worse than expected. Should investors be concerned about inflation at this point?
1: Well, the short answer is investors should always be concerned about inflation. And it's really about, you know, after tax and after inflation returns that we're really trying to grow. I'm a professional asset allocator, professional money manager, and risk manager, so of course I'm going to worry about inflation. And I think just the best course of action is, of course, you expect the probable, but prepare for the possible. And there are good arguments right now on both sides of the inflation argument that, you know, the uptick, is it transitory or not? And maybe it is. There are some transitory elements. There are some elements that probably aren't transitory. I think one key thing to remember is the Federal Reserve is a lagging indicator. So, I think the bottom line is if you're an investor, you just need to look at your portfolio and is it prepared if we do get, in fact, sustained inflation?
0: All right, let's bring in our guest, Senior Vice President at First Trust Portfolios, Ryan Isakainen. Ryan, welcome to The Weighing Machine.
2: Good to be here, Robin.
0: Well, before we get started, I'm going to hand it over to Rusty for our sort of traditional now opening question.
1: Well, I do have a traditional opening question, and I've already prepared Ryan for it. But first of all, I've got another question. Who did a better job pronouncing your last name, Ryan? Probably Robin. She always crushes it.
2: I mean, you guys both did an admirable job. It's not an easy name to pronounce, and you're not the first to struggle with it. But Issa Kynan is, uh, uh, I mean, you guys were as close as anyone. So, congratulations.
1: <laughs> all right. A success already. All right. Now we get to the really important question. And that is, you're about ready to come up to plate here and do a podcast interview. We need background music. We need your walk-up song. What is your walk-up song?
2: That's a really difficult, I mean, out of all the questions that I could be asked, that's one of the most challenging. Because I'd really like to say something like um, metallica's enter sandman i'd really like to walk up to that but i think no one would really take it seriously i'm not sure i could pull it off so i'd probably have to stick with something like uh, a jack johnson song uh you know that the relaxed chill vibe something like times like these i mean any jack johnson song really i'm just not as intense as a enter sandman by metallica would require but that's what i'd like to say
1: that's a nice selection and i have to admit on Inner the sandman When I really need that little extra oomph to beat one of the kids at ping pong, that is one of the three go-to songs for me. So (laughs) anyway, Jack Johnson's great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's probably more my vibe than Enter Sandman. As much as I'd love for that to be my vibe, it's just not.
0: So Ryan, you have been at First Trust for 21 years, as far as I understand. I believe you took a position there right out of college. Can you tell us more about your background and what drew you to the investing industry?
2: So it's almost true. I was almost right out of college. I actually finished college. I traveled around Europe for um, nine weeks. I came home. I worked as a waiter. I worked as a bartender. I worked for a temp agency loading trucks. And I didn't know what I was going to end up doing. Um, I didn't know that I would have an aptitude or, or enjoy working in the financial industry. It was really one of those situations where there was a job opening. I took it. And I discovered that I was working with some just wonderful people. Uh, we were doing things that were exciting, that were innovative. Our leadership was really inspirational. I loved getting to know financial advisors. And uh, 21 and a half years later, it was just something that, that I grew into. Uh, I'm actually I just turned 44 this year. So I've actually been at First Trust for this is my 22nd year. So that's about half my life which is pretty remarkable looking back. But it was one of those opportunities that I didn't realize was going to ultimately be what drove my life for the next half of my life. It's a remarkable industry. I love doing what I'm doing. Um, and I wish I could say that I planned for it, but it was just kind of by accident initially. I
1: have another question about your bio and I've never asked this question of anybody before, but I've noticed you went to Wheaton college. And it seemed like that school has graduated so many people who are in our industry, the ETF industry. Why is that?
2: I I think it's a couple reasons. You know, many of us worked together at at the same firms, you know, in one form or fashion. Our firm, First Trust, is located in Wheaton. So that helps with kind of recruiting talent that, that comes out of Wheaton. And as an alum, I'm probably biased, so I'm not sure I'm the best person to ask, but I I just think that as I look at my colleagues that are Wheaton alums, the school tends to produce some really thoughtful, well-spoken people that are very creative, they're caring people, they're just good people. And as a liberal arts college, I think it produces some well-rounded people as well. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm biased. I'm not sure I can entirely put my finger on it, but I think those are some of the reasons.
0: Well, tell us more about First Trust, Ryan. What does it stand for as a firm?
2: What sets First Trust apart from our peers in the industry? I think nobody supports the investment advisor like First Trust does. That's what everything, that's our ethos, that's everything that we do is to support the investment advisor. And that comes in the form of products that that helps to add value beyond just the plain vanilla index fund. There's some utility in that as well. But that's not what we do. We try to add value through innovative products, but also uh, by producing intellectual capital and sharing that with advisors and, and hopefully providing tools to help them as they help their clients succeed. That's what we are focused on. We, we recognize that investors succeed As a result of the advice and the conviction and the strategies provided by investment professionals, that's the that's the key to success in the long term. And so the best way that we can help investors succeed is by helping investment professionals. So that's what we do.
1: Yeah. Well, First Trust is one of the leading ETF providers, and I think it's really for a couple of reasons. First of all, you kind of touched upon it, the people. And another reason is that some of the content you put out there, it's provocative and it's easy to use. Again, advisors can use that when they're dealing with investors. And then, of course, the lineup of ETFs that you have is very interesting. And when it comes to that ETF lineup, right now, which ones are resonating best with advisors?
2: You know, we have at last count about 178 ETFs. And it's been really interesting to watch the flows both in and out of our lineup um, have been really spread apart. There hasn't been, you know, just one ETF or two ETFs that have brought in the lion's share. Uh, But at the top of the list, we, I mean, this year has been RDVY DVY is our uh, dividend growth strategy. That's been really, really popular with advisors. Um, we've got a commodity strategy, FTGC, which is, you know, for people that are, you, you guys were talking about inflation, for advisors that want to have some sort of a hedge against inflation. I think that is part of the reason that we've seen so much move into FTGC. Our actively managed fixed income lineup, including FIXD is our core plus strategy, has had a lot of net inflows, a lot of advisors have sought that sort of actively managed risk management and value seeking from FIXD. Um, And then some of our thematic ETFs have also been really popular, whether that is some of the high flying things that have pulled back recently and things like those stay at home trades, whether that's cloud computing or cybersecurity uh, or the green energy trade, those all did really well until they've, Pulled back a bit, or some of the more thematic that are a, a bit more cyclical, like our water ETF, FIW, has gathered a decent amount of assets and it's done pretty well. Or, um, you know, grid is another GRID. That's our smart grid ETF that supports that renewable energy ecosystem. We have seen across the board a, a lot of different ways that advisors are using our funds.
1: See, there's so many interesting ETFs there. Okay, so take it a different way. Do you have particular favorites, either in terms of talking about or investing in?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like asking me to choose between my children, you know, which is your favorite child.
1: You have 178 children.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's difficult to say, you know, the cop-out answer would be, uh, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish because there's tools that, that really help you accomplish different tasks and different objectives for your clients. That's also a true answer, by the way. I use a few dozen of these in my own as I manage my own portfolio. Um, I, these are you know, great tools. But some of the ones that I just mentioned are, are some of my favorites. I mean, if I'm looking at the core of an equity portfolio, RDVY, which I mentioned, dividend growth stocks, I think that's a great core strategic holding. Uh, we've got a, a sort of quality tilt ETF, FTCS, which is we call it our capital strength ETF, I mean, again, a great long-term core holding. Our actively managed lineup, I think, is um, second to none. We've got, you know, in addition to some of the ones that I mentioned, our Muni lineup, our Muni actively managed ETF lineup is great. I live in New York State, so we just launched FMNY, which is our actively managed New York Muni ETF. I pay a lot of taxes in New York, and for those that are, you know, have clients in New York or, or live in New York themselves finding a way to generate tax-free income is difficult. We've got an awesome team that, that does a great job, you know, in those thematic ETFs. And so you asked what my favorite ones to talk about are. I really enjoy talking about, about our thematic ETFs because there are so many interesting things to talk about um, and, and so many ways that you can position a portfolio to sort of benefit from trends that are emerging uh, right before our eyes. So. You know, we've got a great lineup, about $35 billion of our ETFs are in those thematic ETFs. So, I, I really enjoy talking about those because, you know, they're really great stories and, and clients love to hear about what's, you know, the next big thing, what's going to happen. So, that that's that's my favorite if I had to pick.
1: Okay, that kind of segues into my next question. So, again, First Trust puts out a lot of really cool information on their website, but one of the things is an ETF asset flows monitor that is published each month. Right now, what are your current key takeaways from that? And I guess related to that, what is your outlook for the ETF industry?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think anyone could have predicted a year ago that we would be at the asset levels that we're currently at the ETF industry. We hit almost $6.2 trillion at the end of last month. And, you know, that's that's pretty remarkable. ETFs that are in the equity side of things have been the biggest recipient. Um, last month, we brought in about $61 billion as an industry into equity ETFs. And what's been really interesting for me as as we've seen an evolution in the way that, that investors and investment professionals have used ETFs is, is we look at some of the ETFs in the equity side, especially that are not plain vanilla, that are not just the S&P 500. Um, they've seen some of the biggest flows. So, you know, you look at Some of the factor-based strategies, I I mentioned our dividend growth strategy, you know, that sort of ETF. Dividend ETFs and, and value ETFs have brought in the lion's share in the last six months, in the last year, so that they've definitely been popular. Thematic ETFs, I mentioned those as well. You know, we've seen something like $60 billion in thematic ETFs net inflows over the last year. You know, I think that is an important takeaway as well just the way these things are getting used. Our team really combs through the data when we put out that data watch piece, because, you know, we think it's helpful for uh, people to kind of see some of the trends and maybe you can pick up on some of the early signs of you know where money is is flowing in or out of. that. That's one piece of information. It's not something that I, I would hang your hat on, but it's definitely an interesting data point that can help contribute to, you know, some of the decision-making process. As we look at like what, the trends are broadly and where the ETF industry is going. I think we're going to see more growth. I believe that pretty with a very high degree of conviction. But I think the growth that we're going to see going forward, a lot of it is going to happen in some of these other areas that I've mentioned. It's not going to be just in your S&P 500. It's not going to be in you know the Qs. Those are going to do just fine. But it's going to be in some of these other interesting ways to add value, whether it's active management, whether it's factors whether it's themes those are really where i think a lot of the the uh, trends are headed
1: now you kind of hit on some questions i was going to touch upon you hit them but there's one area if you could drill uh, drill down a little bit more on that's target outcome solutions do you talk about that a little bit
2: yeah that is one of the areas that i am actually most excited about looking forward because it's a space that isn't new but it's relatively new to the etf industry Um, And and really what we're doing is taking strategies that used to be offered only in, you know, structured products or notes that are offered by banks where you're tied to the credit risk of the issuer sometimes, or, you know, maybe there's not a lot of liquidity uh, where you're really able to use those same strategies within an ETF. So, for example, we've got buffered ETFs, which which protect a certain percentage of your downside your your downside participation. And in exchange for that, you end up capping a certain level of upside. So you're you're, uh, effectively using the same sort of risk management techniques that has been used or that have been used by some of these structured products for years and delivering it in a very liquid, very transparent ETF that is perpetual. So unlike a, a note that matures over a certain period of time, uh, these ETFs just simply roll into the next series of options contracts that are the underlying holdings, and they do so uh, with all the tax efficiency and tools to manage for tax efficiency that are that are used by other ETFs. Um, so this is one of the areas that we've seen really strong growth in that I am really expecting to see more growth in the you know in the years ahead. I'm really excited about it.
1: They do sound more complicated, but I guess the simple story and why they're so popular is their ability to kind of control that downside risk. Yeah, that's yep, right. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, here's an article, and I have to admit, I just saw this article, and I said, oh, come on. And uh, I bet you saw it too, but it was on the Financial Times just days ago, but it said the only reason, I think it was some academics that did the study too, but it said the only reason ETFs have grown and taken market share from mutual funds is, is simply because of their tax advantages nothing else did you see that article and even if you did or not what do you think of that
2: yeah i mean i will confess that i did not read the article but the premise i think is incorrect i think that you know tax advantages are a great feature of etfs relative to traditional mutual funds that that's there's no denying that but that doesn't explain why fixed income etfs have grown so much relative to mutual funds because fixed income etfs typically don't have the same level of tax efficiency as their equity counterparts do i mean you you can still use some of the tools that you use within equities but most of your returns for fixed income comes from your coupon not necessarily appreciation of the assets themselves i mean sometimes you'll get that but it's not it's not to the same degree that you have with equities yet fixed income ETFs have grown dramatically. I think the intraday liquidity of ETFs is another another feature that you are understating if you're just saying that it's tax advantages. I think there's there are advantages to be able to you know buy in the middle of the day or sell in the middle of the day. Um, there's even advantages from a portfolio manager's perspective when you're able to see what your inflows are going to be that day or your outflows are going to be because it allows you to maybe put that money to work or kind of know what you're going to have to do to to manage the inflows or outflows for an ETF in a way that you don't have with a traditional mutual fund, where your your, your net inflows are coming in at the end of the day or outflows. And then I guess the last thing I would say is the the transparency that is inherent with the vast majority of ETFs, I think is a big advantage for, for an asset allocator for a market maker that's trying to make fair markets in an ETF, you know that that transparency, that real-time pricing, I think is a big advantage. You know, so I, I think there's, I think you're downplaying the other features if you say, not that you're saying it, Rusty, but um, for somebody that says that it's all the tax advantages, that's certainly a, a great feature, but it's not the only feature.
0: Sort of on those same lines, I saw an article in Bloomberg recently that the ETF industry is likely to grow even more in the face of uh, potential capital gains increases under the Biden administration. Basically, wealthy Americans are gonna be looking for alternatives to limit their tax liabilities. Are you expecting that to happen this year and in coming years?
2: You know, it's it's a really difficult question to know if you're right or not in answering. Uh, I, I think the reality is, ETFs tend to be more tax efficient anyways. So whether or not your your marginal tax bracket goes up a few percentage points or, or not, I think ETFs are already more tax efficient. So I guess there'll be marginally uh, more of a benefit for being more tax efficient. So I, I guess there is some benefit. I'm not really sure it's going to be something that causes a huge wave to that'll be the breaking point that causes people to sell their mutual funds and buy ETFs. But I do think, you know, it it does have a marginal benefit if if you have higher tax rates and you've got a more tax efficient uh, wrapper in the ETF. Sure, that has a little bit of a push. I guess what I'm saying is it's already doing what you're suggesting. I think it's already causing that even if tax rates were to remain the same. I think that trend is pretty well entrenched and I don't think there's any turning back.
0: Well, part of the appeal of ETFs, as you mentioned, is their transparency. So, I wanted to ask you what you make of the growth of active, non-transparent ETFs, otherwise known as ants.
2: Yeah, the ant invasion hasn't been nearly as as <laughs> as large as um, some people expected it to be. I'm not going to say that it won't be successful at some point. I mean, there are certain strategies where I understand having a less transparent, more opaque portfolio. If you want to really uh, have a concentrated strategy and you're worried about liquidity and you don't want people to front run your trades to some degree that, you know, I can understand wanting an opaque portfolio. But on the other hand, I think there are real advantages to having transparency. I mean, if you're an investment advisor and you want to build a portfolio and you want to control your exposures and your overlap, and you want to know if the portfolio manager is doing what they're saying they're doing or or where their returns came from. I think having that transparency is a really important part of that. And I think that's got real benefits for the end user of these ETFs. Um, so when you take that away for a, a non-transparent fund, I think you know that, that is that is a headwind for those sorts of strat those sorts of strategies. You know, at first trust we have one of the largest lineups of actively managed transparent ETFs and they've performed very well in the real world without having to hide our holdings. And that to some degree has to do with the types of strategies that we're managing in that transparent wrapper, but it's just not anything that we've filed for. It's not something that we're you know pursuing um, because we think that the benefits of transparency in many cases outweigh, the potential benefits of having a non-transparent portfolio. And I also think there's some liquidity challenges potentially for market makers that are trying to make effective, tight markets for trading those um, non-transparent strategies.
1: It's so hard to push back anything because I'm a huge ETF fan too. And uh, I am one of those people that thought that Ants would probably do a little bit better, but you're right, probably down the road a little bit. Shifting gears a little bit, so... Uh, We both talked to a lot of advisors and one of the questions or some of the questions I'm getting all the time right now is about inflation, which we talked about earlier, and interest rates. What is your current advice on building fixed income portfolios in the current environment and how should we be diversifying equity risk?
2: You know, that is the question of the day, I think. There's inflation that is just on the horizon and, and, you know, you, you listen to our economics team and they just feel that there will be some transitory inflation, but there'll be some permanent inflation as well. And if we're right on that, it seems like we're gonna have higher interest rates. The Fed can hold down rates at the short end pretty easily. They have some tools to try to manage the longer end, but eventually the market takes control of the longer end. So the question that I think advisors have to ask is whether they're being compensated for taking interest rate risk. And you look at a, a broad, index fixed income fund and your your compensation, your, your coupon relative to the duration of the portfolio is just not very favorable right now. You're not able to earn a lot of income to overcome potential rises in rates. And so, you know, as you're thinking about positioning your fixed income portfolios, I don't think it makes sense to be above the benchmark in terms of duration, especially for long-term investors. I think you know we, we recommend biasing a little bit short, not that you have to you know cut your duration completely because I, I think it's an important ballast to have in a portfolio, to have something to offset equities. But when rates are this low and your duration is this high, I think it's just a really challenging thing to do. One of the things that we just wrote about in one of our newsletters was about using some of those target outcome ETFs as another tool to help manage that risk, you know, beyond just a traditional kind of 60-40 allocation between stocks and bonds, um, having another way to manage portfolio risk by having a buffered strategy that lessens your volatility, but doesn't do so based on, you know, assumptions that fixed income is going to deliver the returns in the next 10 years that it did in the last 10 years, or the last 50 years. You're able to manage your risk in other ways. So I think that's an important consideration, something to to consider is diversifying the way that you manage risk. You know, we have a series of uh, model portfolios where we provide our recommendations for how we would construct an ETF model portfolio and, and for fixed income and say, hey, if you're looking to have a core strategy or a core plus strategy, this is what we would say. If you wanna focus more on the short duration side because you're worried about longer duration and interest rate risk, uh, we've got a couple different model portfolios that are available for that as well that utilize uh, a number of different you know, diversifying strategies uh, beyond just traditional fixed income. It's a really difficult question, though. It's a, it's a tough place to be at you know where we're at right now, I think.
1: Yeah. All right. So you said something that makes me think of another question. And you talked about your economics department. And of course, at First Trust, a really popular voice in the advisor community is Brian Westbury you know, he just lets it all hang out, very clear writing. He definitely has a fan following. And so I've been reading his stuff for years myself, and I'm curious, and I'm sure other listeners of this podcast are too, but what's he really like to work with?
2: (laughs) You know, Brian is just like he is in public. He's not much different. It's, you know, if you're having a conversation with him, he's got strong opinions, but he also, one of the things that maybe people wouldn't recognize is that he also listens and asks good questions it's not he doesn't have strong opinions because he hasn't really thought through the objections it's he has strong opinions because he takes time to kind of ask questions and and think through some of the topics that they're you know that that he comments on Uh, but he's also you know a person who has throughout my career been very generous in his time and, you know, taking phone calls and talk for an hour. And you might not expect that either, given that he is he has such a good uh, fan following and he's such a popular in demand guy. Uh, he's also you know willing to do that with many, many advisors and many people at First Trust.
1: Once upon a time, I used to help kind of create the consensus expectation for some economic data. This is almost like 30 years ago now. And one of the things I noticed about economists who were always very smart and hardworking is that almost overwhelmingly, they never wanted to be outside the range, you know, outside of the range of expectations. I've noticed Brian doesn't care about that range. You know, (laughs) he doesn't care if he's an outlier on one side or the other. So I've always appreciated that.
2: Well, and, you know, to your point. The most important thing that an economist can do isn't that they nail the S and P end of the year number, because nobody's really going to do that consistently. They're they're not fortune tellers. It's really directionally. That's what I think their team is more focused on. They've got their their models, um, but what they want to make sure they get right is to say, you know, the market is too cheap or too expensive with stocks, or you know, commodities are going to uh, be a good place to to be. It, it's That is the most important part. So they're willing to not necessarily fall in the range of their peers. They're they're willing to say what their model, their model indicates. And they're also very transparent in the way that they present data, uh, which I think is pretty helpful as well.
0: Ryan, it's been really great to have you on the show today. Tell us how listeners can learn more about First Trust.
2: Well, First Trust has a great website. A lot of research and commentary can be found there. It's ftportfolios.com. We're also just a phone call away for, uh, we've got a great sales force that people can get in touch with, 866-848-9727 is their phone number. Either of those are, are a great way to get in touch with us. And um, we're a firm that answers the phone and we would love to talk to anybody that uh, gives us a gives us a ring.
1: Great. Well, Ryan, thanks for coming on the show, but I have one more question for you. And one thing the podcast listeners don't have is that we, are, we can see each other By video, So I can see your office right now. You have two guitars in the background. So when you're playing those guitars, are you more likely to be playing Jack Johnson or Jack White?
2: So there's a reason why the guitars are hanging on the wall. And it's because I don't get to play them that much. They make a nice decoration, uh, but I'm probably more likely to play Jack Johnson. But again, I, I will clarify that I am a hack when it comes to my guitars but they make a nice nice background decoration. So that's why they're there. They look great. Thank you. (laughs) All
0: right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final words. Stay balanced
1: and stay the course.
0: We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Strategist at Orion Advisor Solutions and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at All opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information the participants consider reliable.